Hey everyone, this is Ryan Kurlbaum, host of the Everything is Lessons podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to our inaugural show. We have a great, great guest for you today to, to kick this off. Uh, but I just wanted to remind you kind of how this all works and uh, and what this is all about. You know, this this podcast, Everything is Lessons, is a is an inventory of wisdom and, and a kind of reminder that we all have these invaluable lessons inside of us, maybe that we take for granted, but ultimately have tremendous value and should be shared. So I hope that uh, you're tuning in, you're taking a chance out of all those podcasts out there. There's so many now. Uh, but this this show is really for, for those who are seeking hope or seeking wisdom or just... Uh, just, I think that you will see uh, a part of yourself in these voices and in these stories and in these lessons. So today, my guest is a very dear friend of mine, Ian Sherling, someone I've always had tremendous admiration for, and it's just the type of person who he really makes everyone feel important and listened to and cared for. And I've known Ian a long time now, but it's, it just seems like one of those people that when you when you meet them for the first time, you just automatically have a lot in common and somehow you've known each other for a long time. Ian and I went to the same undergrad at Kansas State and studied uh, architecture and landscape architecture in the same building. We have a lot in common. We've been shaped by iconic uh, kind of notable uh, voices in our respective fields. We love to draw and um, we often text each other uh, songs that we like or, or just quotes that we find. Um, but beyond Ian's immense kind of professional and um, relational contributions to me, he and his wife have been cornerstones of a Dominican Republic missions program. And Ian also leads Grief Share, which is a support and recovery group for those who have lost someone very dear to him. We'll talk about that. But Ian is someone whose compassion is clear. He loves Wendell Berry, bespoke coffee, and Filipino cooking. He loves soft pencils, neat bourbon, and a great song. And if you've ever heard him sing, you think you've heard an angel. But that's just something he does on Sunday. Ian has a wealth of talent and ability and kindness, almost too much to imagine for one person. And I'm grateful to share life with him and his family. We now live in the same town and raise our families uh, within blocks of each other. So hopefully it's it's inevitable uh, that we start this thing with someone who has been a huge inspiration and encouragement to me, um, someone who helps me become a better husband and father and an architect. So here is Ian Sherling, the first guest on the Everything Has Lessons podcast, and his lesson, Set the Bar. Let's see what he can teach us. Here we go. Welcome to the Everything is Lessons podcast, first ever episode, an inventory of wisdom with a very special friend of mine. But before I get to that, this is a, an episode uh, featuring Ian Sherling, a husband, a father, a landscape architect. And tonight we'll be learning more about a lesson that has become invaluable wisdom in his life. So if you missed the trailer that was posted um, about a couple weeks ago, the format's pretty simple. I, I give each guest a, um, a three-word prompt, and that prompt is intended to be some sort of lesson that served them 
uh, well in life in whatever capacity it is. And the, the, the kind of brevity of the three words is from uh, this, this famous folk tale of Ernest Hemingway who goes into a bar. They challenge him to write the most compelling story on the spot. He says, for uh, baby shoes for sale, never used. And he wins the bet instantly. They pay his tab. And uh, it's kind of this folklore in writing. Anyway, so over the past two and a half years, I've been collecting all these lessons. I thought, surely these would be helpful for people to uh, to use. But sometimes they bring their own three-word lesson to the table, uh, which, which is what my buddy Ian here uh, has, has done. So Ian, thank you so much for joining, being the first guest uh, on this, this endeavor. What do I do with my hands? Am I on the pod? <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> no one can see you. <laughs> oh, but you know oh, what? Got but it. you can do whatever you want with the hands and see if I can keep a straight face. Um, <laughs> but Ian, I, I wrote this long-winded thing about you um, that I'll read before the podcast airs. But there's this one part that I thought was pretty funny and good. Uh, uh, when talking about you, it says, Ian loves Wendell Berry, bespoke coffee, and Filipino cooking. He loves soft pencils, neat bourbon, and a great song. If you've ever heard him sing, you think you've heard an angel, but that's just something he does on Sundays. Praise <laughs> mm-hmm. him. Uh, <laughs> and Ian, you you are someone who I've always admired uh, for your per, your perspective, your passion, uh, your position on things, and uh, have always influenced me in a in a huge way, which I think has led to um, a great friendship uh, that I've been paying you monthly for uh, ever <laughs> since we met eight years ago. My bank account is uh, is very thankful for that. Yeah, <laughs> those monthly payments. Um, well, hey, let's get into it. Is that cool? We just go right at it. Or do you have any oh, questions or thoughts there, before we start? There's more than just that amazing intro. I thought we were done. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe we'll just end it there. <laughs> this has been no. It's it's a. Uh, I mean, it's an amazing honor uh, to be the first in anything. Um, I, that's not something I have ever said about myself. So thanks for helping me check a box. And uh, I think this is a really cool idea. And um, I mean, you're always someone who I have been able to like dive deep with in conversations. So uh, I, I feel like I feel like we've already had this conversation a few times. You know what I mean? And uh, that's that's just what I really enjoy. Maybe most about our friendship is is laughing, having a drink, and uh, uh, just kind of diving deep yeah me too man that's good um okay so before we get into your lesson your your bit of wisdom you're going to share with us i just wanted to ask uh as a way to let everyone know more about you how did you get here oh gosh (laughs) i i got out i i got here through a through working really hard and through being the benefactor of a whole lot of luck and good circumstances. You know, I, I, I was once asked that question by like a, a student or something mm-hmm. of, you know, how, how do you, do, do you feel like you've worked really hard or do you feel like you've just been lucky? And I feel like, I feel like both. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't control the breaks that I've gotten in my life, mm-hmm. but um, I'm thankful to, have had them and am thankful to uh, somehow have had people around me to help like guide, guide me through those. And that, I, I think that's the thing about it too. It's like, it's not just, 
it's not just me making the decisions to be here. It's people helping me along the way. That's right. And I, and I mentioned this in the um, in the intro, but I talked about how we both went to the same undergrad and we both come from a Midwestern background. But can you talk a little bit about what that what it was like basically to get you to Watertown? So basically going from school, mm-hmm. uh, we don't have to go all the way, way back, but just talk about like what your your kind of trajectory was coming out of K-State. Sure. Well, I mean, even backing up before that, so I'm I'm mm-hmm. from like a town of less than 2,000 people. Like when people say small town, you know, around these parts, like they're talking about like Worcester, right? right. <laughs> and and you know, like 100,000 people. And <laughs> I'm from a town of less than 2,000 people, and the the uh, the profession that my dad was in in the funeral business. Mm-hmm. In a small town, he, he was one of one, right? right. So everyone, right. he knew everyone, everyone knew us. Uh, word got back to my house before I ever got home. So um, I, I grew up in an environment where you don't have a choice. You have to be a good neighbor and, uh, or, or at least put on a good face and take somebody some cookies, you know? Right. So okay. that's kind of followed me uh, wherever I go. And um, popped around a couple different small towns growing up. And then, um, yeah, and always kind of knew I wanted to build stuff. So I went to Kansas State, was looking forward to building buildings. And then this happenstance thing occurred to me. I'd never heard of landscape architecture before. And in my mm-hmm. first year, I took this crazy leap and decided that that was one of the breaks that I needed to like follow that path instead of the one I had been wanting to take. So I started to dive into that. And, and like, like, like I said earlier, when I dive in, I dive really deep. I'm like, you know, a, a, a cinder block jacket, like it just goes straight to the bottom. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for me, it's I a good started... fan name, by the way, cinder block jacket, <laughs> the, Keep... the cinder block straight jackets. <laughs> I love it. No, we, I, so I, um, I mean, I just went head first into right. studying people that I, I learned about in school and learned about this guy who did things analog on the East Coast and decided that he's the person I wanted to work for. Right. And so I set that goal for myself and um, got married and five days later went to work for him. Um, I guess I should back up and say, I, I met my now wife of 13 years in high school. I sang to her, actually. I serenaded her, and uh, and, she, and she swooned, you know? Yeah, so, well, how could you not? <laughs> no, Can You Feel the Love Tonight is a, is a big song in our house. That's, uh, that's the one that, that did it. Um, mm-hmm. But she's been by my side ever since going on this crazy adventure. And we got a taste of East Coast life in Philadelphia, knew that we didn't want to really go back to Kansas anyway. There's really no opportunity for a landscape architect in a small town. Mm. So um, we decided to to keep our eyes set on the East Coast. That's right when the recession happened, right when I graduated. Right, right. So I was told to take whatever job I could find. And lo and behold, a good friend of mine was putting in a good word for me. And I got a really good break to come to Boston. And I've been at the same office for 
over 11 years, which I feel uh, like in my generation is unheard of. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, that that's who I am. I think I, I think I'm a stayer. I think I like I go deep. I set down roots and I try to be like an oak tree and just not let the wind knock me over. You know what right, I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. And just keep and it seems like. Like setting those roots with, with you is just instead of kind of like, I guess what everyone else might do is just go to another shop. Your roots just get deeper, it seems like, you know, when when the wind picks up, so to speak, uh, or more and more adversity comes or whatever it is, your roots just seem to get deeper instead of shallower. Yeah, I, th I think so. Yeah, it's uh, that's a I've never thought about that before, but it's it's a good metaphor, I think, for well, you brought up the oak tree. That I have, so. <laughs> yeah, th I'm just building on it. Thank <laughs> Thank you, me. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. All right. So. So that's a little bit about you, um, which is which is really great. So I, uh, you know, I had this when I was trying to think about this whole thing and coming up with this big list of three word prompts of all these lessons I'd been learning and making them really concise so I could just basically so I could remember them. Um, I, I, I went to go send you the list, but then you texted me right back and said, no, I've already got it. And and you're and I love that. And, and it, I was just like, you know, what? that's what this should be is I shouldn't give anyone any prompts they should just come with their own three-word lesson so what is what is your three-word lesson and can you just tell a little bit about the history behind it for you okay uh my three-word lesson is set the bar i mean this is the first everything is lessons right so like there there has to be some measuring stick so right. uh, i set the bar um I think the history behind that is two seconds of trying to come up with a three-letter thing to text you back. <laughs> Great. Yeah. That's perfect. So, That's perfect. Yeah. First thing that came to mind. <laughs> Set the bar. No, I. But I. It's what's funny is I think I heard it in a song or something, mm. and it just imprinted on me, and so it was just there. And when you said you wanted to do this thing, I was like, oh. It, it just kind of resurfaced. Nice. Well, you know, it's funny. I um, it's going to be interesting talking with folks about the history of these lessons because sometimes it may just be like a more recent thing, and maybe it's just like something you've always done. But then these three words kind of encapsulate the way in which you have always done things. Yeah. Um, but I read this cool quote. If I if you don't mind if I read it to you, but it 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 reminded me of this set the bar. Uh, idea and it's from our buddy Wendell Berry and this is from uh, imagination in place so it's a little long but I think you'll find some nuggets in here you can't deal with things merely according to category you are continually required to consider the distinct individuality of an animal or a tree or the uniqueness of place or situation and you draw upon long accumulation of experience in your own other people. You are always under pressure to explain to somebody, often yourself, exactly what needs to be done. This is the right kind of language for a writer, a language developing to speak from the ground up. And when I read that, it seemed to resonate pretty deeply with what just what I know about you and what hopefully mm -hmm. people will learn about you from this discussion. 
But when you hear that, is there anything that kind of, when you talk about setting the bar, is there anything you heard in there that just kind of like pops or that you feel like reinforces some of the things you think about? Well, honestly, like it makes me think that the bar has already been set and it has kept moving for a long time. And, and I, you know, get to reset it for myself. Like if I'm just talking about me, but it's something that's, um, it's something that's inherited. Yeah. Which I think is, I mean, for, for someone like me is really a good thing because it's not, I mean, the, the funny thing about me saying set the bar is it's not in my MO or Enneagram type to like right. set the bar. I, I'm not even like an early adopter. I am, I am like, okay, the iPhone came out four years ago. I think it's time for me to get one. <laughs> so, you know, for, um, for, for me, like when it comes to setting the bar, like there was always like this pressure around it. But I think mm-hmm. what the quote, what the quote reminds me of is like, well, the great thing about setting the bar is it will always be raised. Right. Yeah, right. Or, or just moved. And, um, and that takes the pressure off. Right. And, you know, it's funny. I was I sent you a, a blip about this before the before we talked and I was interested in where setting the bar came from. And I felt so stupid because it's it's all about, it's from pole vaulting. Yeah. Which I'm also, you know, not a world champion pole vaulter <laughs> anymore. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> no, but um, no, but it, was, it, it really got me thinking today. And I um, I wrote a little bit about this before the before and uh, I'll link to it after this. But um but setting the bar is an interesting one because it feels like if you set the bar either yourself or someone else sets the bar too low for you maybe you don't try as hard you think it's too easy um it doesn't maybe get your full attention but if you set the bar too high it has the potential of intimidating maybe uh feeling too risky feeling like it's unattainable somehow mm-hmm and the interesting thing to me was is that if you really wanted to be, to be a leader in whatever capacity or if you really wanted to help influence or shape or encourage people it's like that right setting of the bar um and back to the quote from from Barry it's like this long accumulation of experience that's what helps you set the bar yeah and then I, that that seemed um that seemed to make some sense you know what i mean for sure yeah, the reason I never pole vaulted is because I'm 5'10 and like 180. And I don't know if you know this, Ryan, but that is not the size that a pole vaulter should be. Um, right. So I it's, I always wanted to like pole vault, but um, I mean, what, what, what this is all making me think of is like watching a buddy of mine in high school who is like a really great pole vaulter, but he practiced so much. He didn't learn on his own either. Someone, someone showed him how to hold the pole Mm -hmm. and, um, someone told him where to stand, to start running, what mark to stand on, how fast to run, what your pace should be. Um, and that person learned it from someone else too. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think what's interesting, we'll talk about why, why else you think this lesson, I, I guess has been important to you now. Um, but 
but I think what's interesting is that we we can use our own experience to set the bar for ourselves. But I think the real challenge is like, how do we pass how to set the bar on to, to someone else? You know what I mean? Like, how do we teach other people that, in fact, this is the kind of quality or the level of excellence we need to either be as a father or as a husband or as a coworker or whatever. Right. Like, you kind of understand the older you get, like, and all these experiences you collect, like, what it means to be really good at being a dad or being a husband or, or being a landscape architect. Yeah, and those are the things that there's <laughs> there's no, like, manual for, right? Right. So, yeah, in, in that way, the bar is always being moved. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, do you, do you feel like, do you feel like you're constantly reevaluating those different bars in your life? Let's say it's family, career, and just other life things. Um, like, how, how do you find yourself being able to set those new marks for yourself? That's a good question. I think through tension. Mm. You know, I so often, especially when it comes to work and being in a point in my career where I'm like, you know, <laughs> designing but also managing um other people um i think a lot of times and my wife reminds me of this i i set the bar too high for people mm. i think i just i i expect so much of other people because i expect a lot out of myself right. i think that's for, you know for better and worse that's i think right. a quality that i that, that was passed down to me um and um i tend to take a lot of that stuff personally when when uh when when people don't achieve what i hope that they will mm -hmm. and um that that it, it hurts and there's a lot of there's a lot of friction a lot of tension a lot of miscommunication a lot of um yeah just kind of heartburn about <laughs> about those things when they come up and my Anna always I, I think she's really good at reminding me that um you know you need to chill out <laughs> you, you you need to realize that that other people are coming from a different perspective and that perspective is is just as real and true as yours so find a way to work with them instead of um trying to make them achieve something Right. Because I think there's a um, there's two parts I want to dig into what you just said, which I think is really good. The one is that there's there. If you tend to set the bar either too high or too low, there seems to be some kind of tension. But it, it can't the tension can be productive if you feel like you're kind of growing in where you've set the bar in your own self. So if you feel like you're improving somehow or finding growth. That seems like a productive tension, but but what you said that was kind of interesting. I want to pull it apart. You talked about setting the bar high for yourself and you said, talked about setting the bar high for others. And so the part for yourself, setting the bar high for yourself, there's this good quote I want to bring back in Mr. Barry mm. talking about when you set the bar for yourself, it seems like there's a sense of, of readiness. I want you to think about what readiness means, but beyond desire, intellect or learning, the readiness is everything. It involves everything listed above plus your life's work. And it seems to me that 
when you set the bar for yourself, you kind of know the from your accumulation of life experiences where that bar needs to be set. And that that feels like it, that's when that lesson works really well. Is that kind of how it works for you? Yeah, I think so. It, I mean, it reminds me of being. Um, I mean, not to take it all back to sports because not everything has to do with sports, but I th I think I was I was only occasionally like an A team person, mm -hmm. um, and and I I ended my career that way. But that's not how like I I started in like high school, especially like I think about basketball and it was a a love of mine. But I would always come off the bench. I was a bench player. Right. So um, fine if I'm like the sixth man and, you know, you know, getting a few points and getting some boards, but um, I always like wanted to be the, always wanted to be the starter. But I think that um, uh, that, that to me was, was an example for me of like setting the bar, knowing where my bar really is and mm -hmm. where, where I thought it was and and there's there's like a gap there I'm not sure if that actually really answers your question but but I I think perception and reality um in registering that is I don't know I, I guess that's just where my brain went when you started to go there yeah but I mean it seems like if 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 the lesson of set the bar like if that's the wisdom it works really well from what I'm hearing from you, it's it works really well when you rely on past experience, when you kind of trust your own readiness um, in your ability to lead through whatever circumstance. Mm -hmm. um, so that's when it seems like setting the bar for yourself really is productive, right? It, it really, I think, works well. The second part of it, though, is when you may set the bar too high for others. And that's perhaps when the lesson becomes a burden. And I wondered if you might talk about. I don't think you have to go into specifics, but maybe a, a time where you felt like the bar was set too high and then you had to realize like, oh, if I recalibrate this or maybe meet with the person or understand more about what they see or what they are feeling, maybe we can set the bar together. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I when when I was starting out, like really kind of having for lack of a better word understudies like I, I i expected a lot out of them again because i expected a lot of my of, of myself and i wanted them to uh and this is like totally unrealistic expectations but i wanted them to create and produce the same stuff that i did without them even knowing it like you know telepathically they would figure out how to do that which is just absurd and ridiculous and totally like young and naive of me. I think though that some really good advice that I got was we meet someone new, ask them to show you their work. Mm -hmm. Ask them to show you what they're proud of, what they've created. Whether it's, you know, in, in our in our sense, like we we work in like visual means and architecture and graphics. So maybe it's a section or this cool rendering that they did of a project. Um, but you know, maybe it's like a garden, maybe it's something they built with their hands, maybe right. it's a pavilion, maybe it's it's um a sketch, you know, what whatever it is, so that you the, the whole idea was is 
you get to know the person through their work and see what their passion is. And then from there on for from there on, you know the bar that they have. Right. And you can work with that. And you know what they're passionate about. So if you want to encourage them, if you want to correct them, if you want to um, relate to them, you have this thing that you know is going to like tug on their heart that they're proud of. Right. And you can always go back to that as a source for um, anything in that relationship. And I think, I think that's the point too, is that so many times like work stuff seems very transactional, but I, I do my, <laughs> my, my damnedest to make sure that like the person always comes first. And I think that's, that's like that small town roots thing again. Right. I think my family kind of instilled that in me, but like the work doesn't matter as much as the person does. I mean, I think the work's important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, I, but I think, I think the person is extremely valuable. Right. And it seems like, outside of a work perspective, it it also has a kind of similar effect, right? Like, if yeah, if our expectations, I'm just thinking of myself. Like, when I expect something of Kelly that is unrealistic, uh, she's often like, "We well, didn't tell me that's what you wanted." Or that you didn't tell me that's what you thought we were doing or whatever. Yeah. But I, I had just sort of like said, no, no, no. In my head, I had that conversation. And why weren't you in that in my head with me <laughs> when I was right. talking? Um, so it feels like, you know, when you when you kind of set these expectations for whatever it is, your family, your spouse, your work, your relationships. Like if you don't somehow communicate those, then it feels like people will inevitably let you down yeah yeah i think so i've i um i don't know it, it, it reminded me of another wendell berry quote which is i think related but I, th I think he said something like if you want good neighbors you have to be a good neighbor mm -hmm. and i think that that has its limits but i think that that's a really nice sentiment where it always kind of turns it back on you in a productive way like right. in a self-critical way where it's like no did did i communicate everything that i could communicate and um if not let me be creative and try to find another way to do that right right no but the good thing about that barry quote is that it's not just about words right it's also about about actions and that we have to it seems like if if we set these kind of expectations for ourselves, if we're really hard on ourselves, which I'll get to it in, in a minute, but if we are setting these expectations so high, we have this kind of growth mentality that drives us and keeps us going. Uh, we we have to share that with people, you know what I mean? And I, And you're right. I like the example of like meeting a new person, having them share what they're really interested in, what they've done well, what they what their passions are. Maybe they love woodworking or gardening or something you had no idea that that becomes a, a new way to connect with somebody. That's interesting. That's good. Um, but it, so the, the other piece of setting the bar that you did talk about that I want to dig into just a little bit more is about this kind of inherent uh, need or ambition. We talked a ton about ambition offline 
over many of beverages, but oh, yes. <laughs> the the ambition is something I always think you have an interesting perspective on because it um I think we are I think we're wired to grow. I think we are wired to do good work and succeed. Um and I think we're wired to to utilize our talents in a uh, a way that benefits other people. However, uh, I think ambition can get out of hand easily, which I think is easy to easy to imagine. And I guess what I wonder is it, if setting the bar it, it inherently is ambitious. Um, but I wonder how you temper that ambition from getting too out of hand or too self-serving in a way. Like, how do you keep ambition productive? Service. I think that's a simple answer because I think you're right that it can be self-serving. So mm -hmm. if the antidote of self-serving is service, <laughs> then, then uh, you know, and, and, and getting out of your comfort zone and experiencing something that might be new, uncomfortable, um, whatever it is. And I'm not even talking about like, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like service work or something like that necessarily. Although I, I, there's, you, you know, me, there's a ton of value in that. Right. Um, but even I, I think of like expressively, like going to a place uh, like like the, the the first time that I went overseas, I went to the Philippines, and I was so excited to go because that's where my wife's family's from. And um, it instantly became like a love of mine when when I met and fell in love with Anna. Mm -hmm. But I, I I knew that I would have some comforts of home. You know, uh, Filipinos speak English very well, American ideas and Filipino ideas have assimilated over the years, but there were a few times where we went to markets and I'm sure a lot of people have had this experience. You go to a market, you don't know how to haggle with somebody. You right. want a, you, you want a figurine or a bowl and um, you know, you're just getting ripped off. And um, uh, it's a kind of helpless feeling um, if, if you really want to like play the game, right. but uh you know it I, I i think even in moments like that you realize that there's so much more than what your world is mm -hmm. and that's that's what i loved about you know I, I i tried to do this podcast at um at work a few years ago and it never honestly really had much support but the whole idea of that which is a, an ethos of mine is um cross-pollination is everywhere you just have right. to look for it you have to go someplace for it. You have to meet some new people for it. You have to understand that there's there are bigger truths than just the landscape architecture truth or the architecture truth. Like there are these eternal things that no matter what your profession is, you try to tap into. And so um, I think that's another way to kind of um, both well, I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's like fighting ambition. It's like tempering ambition in a good way. It's like, it's being creative, really. Mm -hmm. Like Questlove's book that you got me, The Creative Quest. Um, I mean, he, he talks a lot about this and is about it too. He loves food. He loves to listen and to pick apart and to mimic 
uh, different recipes. He loves to mimic and, and learn the history of different um, artists from different genres of music than he, people know him for. Sure, but, sure. but that all like, it, it creates a library inside of him that is about appreciation. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, that gratitude for those things is probably greater than service in a way. Like it's, it's the Marie Kondo thing of like, whenever, you know, does, does it spark joy when I touch this thing? And if it doesn't, then I'm going to get rid of it. But before I get rid of it, I'm going to tell it. Thank you Mm -hmm. for that one time that I wore that shirt, because I remember now, like I'm now attaching a meaning to that thing. And, um, I'm going to live in this way. That's like, Oh, I'm, I'm nothing's disposable. I'm going to save the memory. I'm going to acknowledge that it took me to a new place. And that's where I am today is because of all of that stuff. Well, so there was a lot of good stuff in there. The, Sorry, what you, I, you, you just let me go for like 20 minutes. It feels like. <laughs> Yikes. No, Can I get the bourbon? <laughs> another one, another one, sir. Um, well, no. So I thought you were going to say that the finding ways to to serve others uh, is is in fact the antidote to ambition, which I agree. I think that that certainly helps ground us. But what I really wasn't expecting you to say, which I really like, is that the the other the ways that other people can influence us in either related fields or related parents or uh, related relationships and the different perspective they have inevitably becomes this kind of library inside you like you said which I really like and that you start to appreciate the nuances of how people do things yeah. and and those reference those become kind of like um, unintended but necessary kind of references for you as you start to do that thing again as you talk to your kid if they if they mess up or if you uh, or having a tough time with your spouse or disagreeing on something you may you may just rely on something you may have heard from someone else and, and that's an interesting way to think about it that that we're always looking for other uh, perspectives in fact to, to serve us um, and, and inform the way we we look at things yeah I mean I think you you like me like a lot of people we're curious and we ask a lot of questions right this which is the meaning of curious but you you know we we're always like we we live with a kind of awareness and i think i heard this from a cultural ecologist recently at the university of kentucky wendell berryland um and and she was just saying she was talking about like she was talking about what cultural ecology is and how you know it's it's um an environment's influence on a on a a person or a group of people and vice versa. And what she was saying is whether it's a natural or the built environment, right. that everyone has like an experience with something. And uh, you have to honor and respect everyone's experiences is true, mm. which was like huge to me. So yeah, if everyone's experiences are true, then I... <laughs> I'm only one perspective. Right. Right. And in fact, 
in and to set the bar for anything uh with only a one you know opinion on it then becomes almost ridiculous right it it, it has to be a a collaborative effort even if it's for yourself it feels like the people really close to you your spouse or whomever it, it feels like they need to be a part of that setting yeah right right you, you can't just play like an iphone game of like backgammon against the computer right and like win every time and be like i'm amazing i'm the best at this and it's like well you're playing on the easiest setting against an algorithm right. and you figured it out <laughs> right yeah that's really good um well, we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, what it means to have have others influence how you set the bar. Talked a lot about what setting the bar means for you. Um, I wonder, I wonder if you could just go like one step deeper into that, and 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 who would you say you set the bar for? Like, would you say that you set the bar for uh, for yourself for? Uh, kind of recognition of the team for a project for example or the accolades for your kid or you know what i mean like who would you say like mm-hmm. if you set the bar who would you say you do it for mm-hmm. well, i think when it comes to work i definitely set it for myself mm-hmm. which again is is i think good from a self-motivation standpoint but but bad in the in the in the sense that i don't know everything so you know, I'm I'm probably missing things if I'm the only one setting it for myself. Right. Um, <laughs> I know just in in my own like uh, spousal relationship dynamic, I I'm the one with um, I'm I'm just a creative at heart, so I'm always looking for new ways to do things or <laughs> new gadgets or knives for you know cooking. Uh, new new tools new things and i need someone else to like temper those things for me which is anna who's i mean she you know she she uh she runs the budget so (laughs) everything has to go through the cfo and um and uh so while i think i like to set the bar she always really tells me where the bar is but you know then, then i think we negotiate and find some like compromise yeah, sometimes and, I'm lucky. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think that's what's so great about a really successful marriage or a successful work relationship is that both people have buy-in, both people have a voice, uh, and you kind of set that bar together. Um, I wanted to. We have about five minutes left. I want to try to keep this like at forty-five minutes. But the, I wanted to spend a little bit of time on something which uh, a lot of people don't know about you, which I think is maybe one of the most interesting things um, that you do in terms of setting the bar and serving others. And that that's in your role with grief share. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I don't know everything about grief share by any means, but it certainly seems like it is a, a support group uh, promoting the recovery um, after losing someone significant in one's life. There may be more to that than this, but, but I, I found this um, Kathleen rain poem. And uh, I thought I might, it's really short. I might just read it to you and see see how it hits you. And, and then Wendell Berry talks a little bit about the grief that she talks about in there. And, and then I just wanted to kind of close with that, if that's cool. So, so the poem is, it just goes like this. It is myself I leave behind, my mother's child, simple, unlearned. 
whose soul's country was these bright hills, this northern sky. And Wendell Berry says about that poem that it seems that rain is talking about that that grief, in fact, preserves and clarifies the memory of her joy and gives it life and value. And I thought that was just so powerful that 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 grief, in fact, could be productive, that it could preserve and clarify uh, the immense amount of life and value of someone. And so I just wanted to kind of tee you off with that, have you talk about how maybe how grief share has impacted you and how you've kind of set the bar with using grief share as a, a conduit to serve other people. That's a lovely poem. I haven't heard that before. You'll have to send that to me. I I mean, you you know, I, I'm, I'm someone with a short attention span, so that's why I love poetry. Right. But I also love how deliberate and powerful just a few words can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of like our life too. Like our life's actually more like a poem than a novel. It's pretty short. Um, well, you know, for, for me, grief share stem from, uh, my mom's death two years ago mm-hmm. and she battled breast cancer for 17 years and, um, they finally, finally got her a couple of days after Christmas years ago and I am someone who grew up around death my family being in the funeral business so that bit didn't um you know the 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 grotesque nature of like dying sometimes um I already had that expectation so but um you, you knew my mom and knew that she was someone who liked that that poem had a whole lot of joy and generosity in her heart and passed it along. And I think those are the kind of eternal truths that I'm like looking for, because I know how much it like I learned from that and and felt it like and experienced it when she was able to like, you know, express those things to other people. It changed other people's lives. Right. So I think that that is, super special now like going through grief itself was a, a, it, it rocked my world it it changed everything about me um mm-hmm. all of my dna and um it's hard it, but i think it happened for the better too um you just kind of have to go through it at first and i think that grief share is for those people who are going through it um and I had heard this quote from a, a TV show recently that grief is um, it's an awful train that doesn't make stops. Mm. It's going to keep going whether you like it or not. And um, but um, you know if it makes you feel any better, you know I've been on this train for a while, and you can come sit next to me anytime you want. Oh wow. I think I think that that was like the the line from this the show that was it's like crazy. I was seeing that on TV. It, mm-hmm. It's really powerful to normalize the depression you feel when you're kind of in the midst of it, and you know the anger and regret and shame and all the other emotions that are totally normal um, and nobody talks about. But I think that 
you know, we, we like to talk about stuff that's about life. You know, we like to talk about living. We like to talk about loving, but grief is the price you pay when you love someone. So, uh, I, I think we got to talk about that stuff too, because it's regenerative, you know, again, like if we're talking about setting the bar, like, um, yeah, you, you, I mean, my, my own bar for that was not set by myself. It was set by my mom mm -hmm. and I was able to like grab it right where she left off. And I hope that I, I'm able to do something with it, you know, exactly. I think, and I think you, th those are sort of passions that, you know, like you hear a lot of people say, I never would have thought that I would have gotten into this. I never would have thought that grief share would be like a passion of mine. Like, you know, being with people who are grieving, but I think that's, um, it's just such a normal human thing and we should try to do it with some grace. Well, and I think, I think that's such a powerful way to end, um, this, this discussion because it's, we've talked about setting the bar and I think, I think the first thing you would think about the kind of surface level would be like, oh, I just, this is what I do at work. I just set these super high expectations for myself and for others. And uh, that's what gets me noticed. But I think what's so compelling about you, Ian, is that you take that ambition and you make it productive and you help it serve other people. And that's that's what I think you do with Grief Share. And I think that's what's a, a really beautiful thing. Um, so I'm going to close with that, if that's cool. I uh, I can't thank you enough for being on here. This has been really fun. Well, I, I, I can't thank you enough for like wanting to uh, have me on, first of all, but just to be the, to, to set the bar, you know, like good luck, whoever's next. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> high. <laughs> I feel start, like this. Better I feel start like, pole vaulting. Yeah. Better start pole vaulting. Um, well, look, I just wanted to close with one more, one more quote. I, I probably don't need to have 47 quotes in the next episode, but these just all, uh, came right to the surface. Um, but I wanted to just talk about uh, as a way of setting the bar that that um, Wendell Berry says that that one enters into this flow. He's talking about influence as a way of a moment and these collection of moments develop momentum of clarity and instinct with the power to gather other such moments. And that it seems like when we set the bar and we understand based on our collection of experiences, we can continue to, to build forward with momentum and help serve other people um, by just being aware that that these, these experiences, these lessons, uh, all this wisdom we're gathering is super valuable. So Ian, thank you again, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Please Thanks join us. Everything is lessons in, in Squarespace for <laughs> sponsoring, right? Aren't they? Aren't they a sponsor? That's not no sponsors yet, but we'll. Uh, <laughs> can I get can I get ten percent off at Mercari? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stay stay tuned for the promo code. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you so much. Really Thanks. appreciate it. Take yeah, care, man. brother. See ya. Right. Bye. Bye. All right. Wow, I thought that was really, really good. Uh, Ian is such a special guy. And um, I hope you took something from that. I wrote down a ton of notes. Um, 
I think the biggest takeaway from today was really about that setting the bar doesn't mean this kind of own uh, personal ambition to continue to be better, which is good. But perhaps look for your own way in your own life, whether it's your your, your relationship or with uh, your family or your friends or your career, but look for other ways that you might set the bar and in a way that engages other people and also serves other people. I thought that was really good and um, a really powerful takeaway from today. So thank you so much for listening. I know there are literally hundreds of thousands of podcasts that you could choose from and you've chosen to spend some time uh, with us here and uh, we're, we're super thankful for that. So hopefully you'll, you'll visit the show link. Maybe you'll, you'll rank, uh, give us a great ranking. Uh, that would be awesome. Uh, leave a comment. Let us know what you think. Let us know what we could do better. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, we'll continue to to post these. Uh, they'll be posted on on Instagram, and then they'll continue to come out on on Apple and Spotify and Google and anywhere you can find a podcast. They'll be there. Also, if if you're interested, uh, there's a blog that kind of previews the show. It, it gives a bit of a backstory of everything is lessons, and that's literally everythingislessons.com. Yeah, you can find a lot of uh, maybe. <laughs> more information there. Um, I'm going to start posting a lot of these quotes and uh, references uh, that we mentioned. Uh, Today we talked a lot of uh, Wendell Berry's book, Imagination in Place. Just an amazing, amazing book. I'd encourage you to pick that up. But I will stop there. Thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it, like I said. And please join us next week on the Everything is Lessons podcast.